Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Rank Up, an on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news, and much more. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Gary, and this week I am not actually joined by regular co-host Ed Wilson. I'm instead joined by our first ever guest star co-host, Olivia May Fung, who is taking Ed's place today as we're talking about one of her specialist subjects, which we will get into in a sec. But Liv, how are you doing? It's great to have you. I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be the um, guest co-host today. That's all right. That's all right. It's a, it's a new thing for the podcast, I was saying to you before, but uh, it opens up a lot of opportunities in the future. So I'm really excited for you to be involved. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and we are also joined by, uh, by a guest, as usual. And our guest this week is Tasha Amponsa Antwi, who is a business director at Reprise Digital. Tasha, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Doing very well. And awesome. thank you for having me today. No, that's, that's, that's great. Thank you for coming on. Uh, you're the one that will be making talk more than us. So we're, we're the ones that are grateful to have you here. <laughs> Um, and we'll, we'll get into the intros now, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask for intros from both of you, so that our audience can um, can hear a bit more about both of you and what we're talking about today. Um, so we'll start with you, Tasha, uh, and just to give a bit of background quickly, um, you were on Brighton SEO recently. Uh, yeah. One of our one of my colleagues saw you live um, on the day of the conference talking about the future of SEO in fashion and beauty. Uh, and was was very complimentary afterwards, told me that we had to get you on the show to talk about it more. Um, so I then watched it on Catch Up, uh, and it looks like a really, really exciting topic. Uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, uh, going into a bit more detail on fashion and beauty SEO um, to give you a bit more space to talk about it than the sort of 20-minute Brighton, Brighton SEO talk. Um, but before we just get to there, can you just give us the bird's eye view of how you got to where you are in SEO today? Uh, yes, I can. Um, thank you as well, by the way, um, in terms of the feedback on the talk. Um, I was very excited to do it and it's yeah. on a topic that I love. But um, And it's very funny because um, fashion, in terms of how I got into what I, what I do now, um, was inspired by fashion and beauty. So okay. I originally went to uni with a plan to be a doctor. So I was actually doing oh, biomedical wow. oh, science. Wow. Yeah, I know it's completely different. <laughs> I was actually doing biomedical science and um, I was studying at Brunel University yeah. and I just wasn't really into it. And to okay. cut a long story short, I ended up um, dropping out. And then I worked for a year in retail. I actually used to work for Miss Selfridge on Oxford Street back in the day. And then while I worked there, I kept getting promoted, but then decided that it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I actually reapplied to go back to uni, um, this time to Kingston. And then I did um, business and management. And it was in my final year when I was doing my dissertation, um, I decided to do my dissertation on online advertising just okay. because I had like a daily routine <laughs> of going on to ASOS and Topshop <laughs> and a few other sites like every single day and it used to bug me um, the amount of ads that would pop up mm. along like my research journey in terms of the clothes that I wanted and what I wanted to buy. So um, I decided to do my dissertation on online advertising of fashion brands. And it was through my research I actually came across um, this whole world of obviously digital marketing, um, 
PPC and more so SEO. And I just randomly applied for a job one day (laughs) at an agency, an independent agency, which I used to work at before Reprise Digital. And then, yeah, that's how I kind of got there. And funny enough, that agency had a lot of fashion brands at the time, a lot of fashion, beauty and travel brands. And um, their SEO team was very male heavy. So none of the the guys would know what three quarter lengths are or understand (laughs) (laughs) like the different seasonalities that come with um, fashion and beauty and how to basically market and do SEO around it. So I kind of made that my thing when I was there. And yeah, here I am now, seven, almost eight years, I think now, deep into it. So what does your current role at Reprise involve now? So my current role at Reprise is I'm actually looking after um, a large global brand. I'm not sure if I can say the name, but... um, That's all right. Yeah. So I'm looking after a large global brand and um, I'm looking after organic search for them globally as well as a few other brands. And um, I recently um, got promoted to a business director. So I'm in more of a client service kind of function at the moment. We yeah. look having a holistic view and strategy of their accounts and across other channels as well. So that's basically what I'm doing now. Funny enough, um, the brand, my main account is actually a big toy brand. Okay. Um, but again, I get pulled into all the the fashion and beauty related pictures. So it is a a vertical, should I say, that we're looking to grow. Yeah, awesome. Well, you mentioned that at the the previous agency, you sort of ended up doing it because you had that insight in the team. Is there anything else in particular that kind of interests you about SEO in particular in this space? Um, Good question. I think the reason i think what interests me in 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 this space is actually um to do with a lot of people that i would probably would call friends and other people that mm. i know and the reason why i say this is because um a lot of people i went to uni with have like very entrepreneurial spirits so a lot of people have actually um started their own businesses and things like that and actually a few years ago before um while I was at Kingston actually studying business I actually started up a clothing line with me and my friend and we actually got loads of really big placements like in Elle magazine, Marie Claire and that kind of thing and we didn't realize that what we were doing is technically SEO. Yeah yeah, it was really weird because we were outreaching to all these magazines sending them samples they would feature us and they would link back to our site like I like obviously well I was kind of basically doing SEO without really realizing we were doing SEO yeah and then what I've realized is today is that whenever people um start not just fashion and beauty brands what they tend to do is that they'll create an Instagram account a Facebook page and think that's it yeah and don't think and don't really focus too much on the website or the or think too far about the di- various different digital touch points that might get a user to to their page. So you'll find that they they depend on everything on Instagram, and yeah. um, and obviously Instagram is a good tool, but it's not the only tool that you can use to drive um, new business and to um, spark awareness of your brand. That's such yeah. a good point. Cool. And, and something else you said there was really helpful, which I just <coughs> want to mention for our listeners because you mentioned that. Um, this doesn't just apply to fashion and beauty businesses. What yeah. you said about Instagram, um, yeah. 
And that's kind of what I want listeners to see from this whole episode as well, that although we're going to be talking about fashion and beauty in depth, and those are going to be the examples we're using, Mm-hmm. If, you, if you've never worked on a fashion and beauty brand before or you're not working on one now, that doesn't mean there's nothing to get from a topic like this. So I think yeah. it's still really helpful to see how an industry expert approaches an industry that they're familiar with for SEO. And there might be aspects of that approach that you can apply elsewhere, even if it yeah. looks a little bit different for other industries. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 100%. Fantastic. So just before we get into that main topic, because I have a guest co-host as well, there is someone else I need to introduce. Um, So Olivia May Fung, also known as Liv, is here with us. Uh, And Liv is an SEO executive at Impression who has actually made an episode episode appearance on Rank Up before, which makes her one of our our very few, possibly the first, returning guest uh, for two different topics. Um, So Liv, because it was a little while ago that you were on before, Uh, Would you mind just giving us a quick intro into what you do and why you're interested in this topic? Yep, so my name is Liv. As you said, I'm an SEO executive here at Impression. I've been with Impression for about three years now and what I do in my day-to-day is help the management of a lot of our beauty and fashion clients here at Impression. And then before moving back to the Midlands, um, I actually worked in fashion and beauty, traditional PR, and then in that time, um, I was really, I've always been really interested in both of these sectors, but I just found that I was a lot more interested in digital and I always thought yeah. that that was where the future was going. And in particular, what I find particularly interesting about fashion and beauty SEO, and this is something that we'll touch on when we go into the main interview with Tasha. Um, Tasha really clearly outlined how, though there is you know, fashion and beauty as industries in themselves, they're the different layers to it of you know the mass market, the luxury, mm. the accessible luxury, and how that differs for each segment's SEO strategy. I've never actually seen someone explain it that way. And when I saw it, when I saw it in Tasha's SEO talk, Brighton SEO talk, it just felt so clear and it kind of just explained everything that um, I think a lot of us that are interested in the industry kind of thought, but had never was able to visualize it or explain it in this way yeah yeah that's awesome and this is why you're you're the perfect person to lead this first part of the interview um so I'm gonna hand over to you now let someone else take the reins of the rank up podcast um do you want to take it away with some of our questions yeah sure so Tasha could you tell us what your reason was for wanting to talk about fashion and beauty SEO at Brighton SEO uh, yeah, 100%. So I actually originally pitched just to talk about um, the future of SEO, uh, just for brands, so it's very general. And um, they actually came back and asked me to focus on fashion and beauty. And it's because I've got a few articles which have been published. Um, I could share these with you after, yeah, that would be after this. Um, where I was basically talking about, um, I think the one that caught their eye was an article that I did for Creative Pool, and it was basically talking about how um, luxury brands are now winning in terms of bricks and mortar, why their stores are still important, and why um, why they need to kind of connect that to a digital strategy, and why um, more... Um, mass market brands, shall I say, more high street brands, this is probably a better phrase, um, are basically having to move online. 
and the change in users' needs and how they basically shop when it comes to the fashion and beauty niche. So that's um, so that's basically how that talk came about. And then, and also, as I mentioned before, like I do have a few friends who have, who have started businesses in this sector. And like I said, they don't really think beyond Instagram. Yeah. So I thought it was, and because people see, feel like people aren't really going onto websites, especially when you're connecting like with brands, people feel like people aren't really going on to websites anymore. And then obviously Google's brought out various different updates, which have um, over time impacted um, organic performance for most brands. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it was just more so thinking about like not taking SEO for granted. So it's still something that you need to do. And it's a practice that isn't um, confined to just the website. So I just wanted to let people know that it's not it, like SEO, I wouldn't necessarily refer to it as a channel, but more so as a craft that can be applied to different platforms. So obviously that's like video search, e-commerce and so on and so forth. So yes, yeah. so that's what I kind of wanted to highlight with the talk. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think what you're say, what you've said about how um, luxury brands and both mass market brands have had to change their digital strategies or become yeah. more aware of their digital strategies as consumer um, interest and then consumer demand changes is really important, especially as we're in this post-pandemic like phase of life now where all yeah. of these brands had to quickly undergo a digital transformation or realised how important e-commerce was for them to continue thriving in this day and age. So yeah. in your Brighton SEO talk, you introduced a pyramid model for understanding fashion and beauty brand positioning, which I think is really interesting because I've never seen someone explain it this way before, but it's really, it when when I saw it, it's such a clear way of understanding it and it shows how yeah. even though um, fashion and beauty could be almost seen as a catch-all, how it differs so differently for different brands. Yeah. So could you give us a brief summary of this um, pyramid model and then talk about how their, your SEO insights can help us understand where our clients sit on the pyramid. Yeah, so um, this pyramid is something I came across a very long time ago um, when I think I was working, this is when I, I did some work experience back at, with Arcadia a very long time ago and I was thinking about going back to you need to do business and I came across this pyramid. So what I've just done here is overlaid like the SEO insights on top of this pyramid. And um, the reason why I use this pyramid is that it's quite interesting to kind of help brands understand where they would fit along here. And obviously if they're a new brand versus if you are a more established brand, how people perceive you and then also um like it also gives you insight into the type of person that might be interested in your brand so this pyramid is also sometimes people overlay this with you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs because obviously like at the bottom where it'll be like your um basic needs that's what the mass, ma mass market brands are so like a lot of this will be more cheaper lower end um like clothing and more accessible um beauty brands and then with, as you go up the pyramid um, you've got different things that come into play so people might become more driven by price and quality when they start looking at more premium brands so these are brands which are um, what I would say premium high street 
So they're yeah. a bit more expensive than your ASOS or your New Look or your Zara. And um, the people who'd probably be looking here are people who are looking to, they want to start investing rather than buying clothes because you have to wear clothes or you need underwear, that <laughs> kind of thing. It's now they want to start investing in maybe buying like a real cotton t-shirt or something or a cashmere jumper, something that will last them like a longer time. And then as you go up the ladder where you have more accessible luxury, um, which is, so then now the, in terms of what they need kind of changes, it's more quality over price that they're looking for. And then obviously you've got aspirational. So these are brands that most people, um, especially who are into fashion and into beauty would um, aspire to buy from and wear their clothes. So with these kind of brands, um, what I call entry level products are quite important to them. So things like um, shoes and accessories, sunglasses, that kind of thing. I actually highlighted that um, in my Brighton SEO talk. Yeah. And then obviously you've got people who are right at the top who are like, who are looking for quality and collectors. Because obviously this is like very, very expensive brand, um, brands. Um, and the price point is really high. So it's important to know where you kind of sit on on here because for example if someone's going to be if someone's going to be interested in a brand um more higher up this pyramid they're going to be more concerned concerned about quality they want to know how it's been made um it'll probably be added to a collection it's more of a higher involvement kind of purchase yeah so from an seo kind of strategy you also need to make sure you have an online to offline strategy which really works so what you'll find is that a lot of the websites that are at the top of this pyramid are not necessarily um, e-commerce websites, but yeah. they're more so for research. So along the kind of consumer journey, and um, the website might actually sit a bit more earlier yeah. than yeah. in comparison to mass market brands. And then um, another thing as well to consider is how people search for these brands. So if it's ma mass market, people tend to use more generic terms and what's interesting is is that some of the sites that I've labeled here um, own the search for own the search landscape when it comes to very um, basic generic terms when it comes to clothing and accessories and beauty yeah and then as you move further up the the pyramid people are a bit more intentional with the way that they search so they're more likely to search for um, the brand and a product yeah. or, or very specifically the brand and a model because it's something that they probably would have researched for a long time. So you wouldn't think twice if you're going to buy a £10 t-shirt from ASOS, but you'd think you'll, you'll spend a lot of time considering buying maybe a £3,000 jacket from um, Gucci or something. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think what you mentioned about how as you go further up the chain to aspirational brands and those supreme brands and how a lot of them aren't actually e-commerce stores and they're the type of ones that they're like you know the ones where it's like if it doesn't have the price on the website yeah you're gonna have to ask for it and you probably won't be able to afford it kind of thing yeah. where, um but you know now that we're in this day and age where e-commerce is so important a lot of and a lot of um, consumers might not feel comfortable going to Selfridges or going to these high-end stores at the moment yeah. to shop again what do you see for the future of these accessible luxury and these aspirational brands do you think we're going to see a bit more of a shift to e-commerce now 
Uh, very good question. I think there will be a bit of a shift to to um, e-commerce just because now, um, especially with what's going on in the world, people were forced to do most of their research online. Yeah. So um, a, a prime example is I know that Chanel didn't used to have um, their prices on their website and now they're starting to, to do that now. Yeah. Or they're more expensive items, um, which they never did before. And um, I think what they, in terms of how they would shift, they need to really consider like tech and innovation. So does that mean that people are going to be looking at apps? How, uh, are they still going to get that human experience? So what I wrote in my article for, um, for Creative Pool was that the reason why um, their brick and mortar stores do very well is because when you go into those stores, it's a very much a one-to-one kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. So um, you'd walk into a store, you wait for a sales advisor. The sales advisor will basically take you around, show you all the things, talk you through um, each of the products that you might be interested in. So let's say I'm in Gucci and I'm looking for a bag. They will actually bring the bags to you um, while you're in the store. Um, They will talk you through the product, explain to you how it's been made, the fabrics used, hardware, all that kind of thing. While you're at it, they'll probably give you a glass of champagne. Um, that kind of thing is not the same kind of treatment that you'd get um, with these other brands. And the reason why um, more high street brands obviously perform well, a bit more better online is because it's so mass. Mm-hmm. They are able to create different functions on their website where people could just filter to whatever it is that they want. So if you're looking for a black dress, you can just go into ASOS dresses, black. You can yeah. highlight the size. So um, in essence, they in essence, that gives the user more one to one kind of a more personalized shopping experience yeah. which can't be achieved in a store whereas with the higher end brands they've managed to achieve that in their stores mm-hmm. um where do you see do you see the difference yeah yeah completely and I think something that we've noticed a lot with um our beauty brand clients especially when the UK was going in and out of lockdown was the introduction of virtual consultations for um, different beauty products or skincare consultations. So yeah. I think what you've mentioned here is really interesting and it will be it will be interesting to see um, if the luxury fashion world takes this on board and maybe if yeah. they're able to replicate that one-on-one con- like consultation experience online. Yeah, no, definitely. It's been it's been interesting to watch. So because um, I am like the marketer's dream, I do live on a lot of these websites. Yeah. <laughs> Dreaming about all the things I'm going to I'm going to buy. But what I notice is, is that a lot of websites, um, especially luxury ones, are actually offering having banners on their website, offering the the whole personal shopping shopping experience. So I know by tradition, brands such as Better Forte and Matches Fashion, they do actually offer this service. Yeah. But they only offer it to their their top end um, clients. So these are people who are going on the website and spending thousands of pounds basically yeah. every month. Um, so what's interesting to see is if they'll start rolling that out um, a bit more broadly. Yeah. Um, but then with those two particular um, sites, they are e-commerce first anyway. So what I did notice is actually, um, if I use another example, Celine, um, yeah. did have a banner on their site saying that they had um, there is opportunity to basically shop with a sales advisor yeah. if you wanted to. Um, obviously, like during the pandemic, so you still had the opportunity to to meet someone and and, and see the items that you want to buy. So I thought that was interesting that they had done that. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think it brings a whole nother level of accessibility to luxury fashion as well. Like I think yeah. for a lot of consumers, it, the idea of going into these um, fancy shops or going into, you know, the nicer area of a department store could be quite intimidating, um, depending yeah. like, you know, fearful of how the sales assistants might treat you based on like your appearance or um, mm -hmm. anything like that. Whereas with these virtual consultations, it completely just lifts all of those like concerns away and it, it, yeah. makes, it makes this um it makes luxury fashion a lot more accessible to a consumer that might have been a bit intimidated to go in store so now that we've had a bit of a discussion on you know the differences between mass market and luxury fashion and beauty could you tell us what kind of goals you think are realistic for different levels of the pyramid uh, yeah, sure. So in terms of like, um, if you're at the bottom of the pyramid, and maybe halfway up, in terms of goals, the goal should be in should mainly be around um, traffic, and getting new users. So with this pyramid, it kind of gives you insight into, like I mentioned before, the audience and what they'll be interested in. So um, in terms of with that in mind, that should kind of underpin what um, users should be searching for. So to, in order to get people to your website, you probably need more generic search terms. Yeah. In terms of moving higher up the, the pyramid, um, it might be more so recruitment and um, getting newer people to your, to your website. So for example, with the aspirational brands, um, I did mention before that um, what I refer to as entry-level products. So this is like um, accessories, shoes, that yeah. kind of thing which are a slightly lower price point but um it's still kind of it's a lower price point but it's still expensive but then it's accessible to people who are aspiring to kind of buy from these brands yeah for sure. that's how you kind of recruit new people into that so it might be that you're in terms of like in terms of a goal of a digital strategy it might be that you focus a lot of these products with a newer audience and trying to grow your audience that way and then when it comes to um, to people at the very top of the pyramid, um, in terms of goals, you would want to kind of make sure that um, you kind of nurture your existing audience because those are the people who are going to continue coming back to spend that kind of money yeah. and for whatever it is that they want. And they've already really done their research. So I guess at the top of the pyramid, it's slightly more difficult to recruit new people versus the bottom of the pyramid yeah no that definitely makes sense and so what do you think um what 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 happens if or what would you recommend if there happens to be a conflict between what you think is achievable as you know the seo expert mm -hmm. uh, and versus what the brand wants to aim for so say for example you know where we're talking about how the mass market brands are targeting that generic search focusing on organic traffic whereas the supreme and aspirational are focusing on those brand keywords you know what would you say if for example chanel said we want to rank number one for black handbag yeah, <laughs> what would, yeah so just as an example like, what would you say for that um do you know what? it's very funny because i've i've had this many times <laughs> um in my career where people where brands have said they want to rank for something as basic as that and I guess from a from a brand and business perspective, if they're known for for their handbags, it doesn't make sense that they don't rank number one for handbags. 
Um, so I get where they come from when, when they say that, but the reality is, is that um, the competition is just way too high. Mm -hmm. um, for a term that generic is probably, the search is definitely dominated by your more high street accessible brands. And they're hard to compete with because because it's mass market, their sites tend to be much bigger with a much, much, much bigger product portfolio. They tend to have a bigger social presence and so on and so forth. Yeah. So what I've tried to do is just basically focus on um, like the data and break down in terms of like the type of search terms and phrases that people would use. Mm -hmm. um, so we get a better idea of intent. So for example, if someone's just searching um, black handbag, we don't know if they want to buy it if they're not. And it's a very broad kind of research thing. So we know yeah. that those kind of people aren't really going to convert. You might have high, like you might have a very high bounce rate off of mm -hmm. a keyword like that and so on and so forth. So it's better for us to target, obviously, slightly longer tail keywords where we know what they're in, like what we when we know their intent is. So say, for example, I think up here I put Chanel Classic Flap. So if someone's searching for a Chanel classic flap, we already know that that's something that they want that they want and that they're ready. They could potentially be ready to buy. Yeah. And then also um, and also with a search term like that and having the knowledge of the brand and how people engage with with the brand, you know that you can know that someone's probably also planning to buy that in the future. So they're aspiring to buy something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it does happen all the time where people say they want to rank for this, but you just have to show them the data in terms of the searches yeah. and um, what the, the types of conversions kind of look like on on those. And also it means that there's an increased effort now. Yeah. And in terms of trying to rank for a term like that, which might not necessarily benefit the brand, so they just need to be a bit more strategic on yeah. their approach. It all ties back down to the data, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And um, so where you've mentioned there, like about how a lot of fashion and beauty companies, they have really strong brand identities or they're really, their, their social presence is really strong. Um, how easy do you think it is to implement your SEO re recommendations when it comes to content? So say, for example, when, so using the uh, Chanel wants to rank for black handbag example, and where you've said about how you've actually had clients come to you in the past and say you know we want to rank for this really generic term um how easy is it particularly when it comes to implementing your seo recommendations um i think it's a good question i would probably say it hasn't always been too easy especially with brands have very strong brand identities you'll find that they're they're very strict with their tone of voice and how they want to refer to things yeah and um I'll give you an example. Um, once upon a time, when I used to do work for Gucci, they they call they call their sunglasses page eyewear, and mm -hmm. I made the recommendation that they should maybe change it to sunglasses because there is a huge search volume around the phrase Gucci sunglasses, mm -hmm. um, as well as sunglasses on its own, and basically they like as much as my contact was like okay yeah we can do this he got pushed back from like their brand team because it doesn't sound luxury enough yeah and the reality is is that no one's really searching around a phrase like eyewear and if they are 
they are expecting a different type of sun, like a different type of glasses. Yeah, they're thinking about like normal glasses or like prescription glasses yeah. or things like that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but when I showed them the data, then it was like, okay, that's fair enough, but they still got pushback. So it can be quite difficult. And I feel like it's probably a bit of a um, an educational piece that you that we need to be given to brands because what tends to happen is is that um, especially when they're working in house, the SEO teams or people who look after digital tend, tend to be a, quite siloed, mm-hmm. and then um, they don't always get what we would recommend pushed through. So that is probably like the main frustrating part when it comes to to things like this. But as long as you show them the data, and I guess it's a case of working with them halfway yeah. to try and meet the needs of their brand identity as well as um, encompassing this, their searches. And sometimes there can be workarounds depending on platforms. You might find that um, some brands are a bit more relaxed on different platforms than they are um, maybe on their main channels. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Thank you for that. Cool. Right. So- We're now going to move on to the questions that are more about the search journey and the customer journey. So I'll hand you over to Ben now. But thank you for that. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. You definitely asked some questions there that I would would not have thought of. So thank you for that. (laughs) That's all right. Um, But yeah, I was really keen before we finish just to talk about another graphic that um, I found really interesting from your talk. And I'm aware we've gone um, for a little while already. So I'll probably just ask um, a a couple of questions on this one. Um, But I'm I'm keen not to miss it out. So Mm -hmm. you you mentioned a graphic, uh, you showed a graphic on your talk, which was kind of showing the complexity of the, the customer journey and how many different touch points there can be, uh, particularly within within fashion and beauty. Um, so do, yeah. you, do you mind just giving a quick summary of that graphic for people who might not have seen it and what you were sort of communicating through it? Yeah, so the graphic was basically um, an example of what a user journey would look like and the various different touch points that someone would make before they get to, to purchase. So obviously, you've got the inspire phase, consider, purchase, and then experience. So during yeah. your inspire phase, you might be on YouTube, which is something... Um, that kind of well YouTube's always been there but during the pandemic um for example especially in the beauty niche as my graphic is kind of framed around um a beauty brand called Elemis which I actually use um but what people were doing during the pandemic was turning to YouTube to um get like morning routines as a form of self-care and it was to manage like their mental health for example, so people would go to a platform like YouTube and then you might have someone talking about a product that they may have used. So then let's say that product is Elemis. So you might go onto the website or click on whatever links that they put in their description box. Then obviously you might then go and speak to a friend and be like, hey, yeah. have you used this product before? And a friend might say yes or no, or give some advice, and then you might get to Google. So what's interesting is that Google's not always the first stop especially when it comes to things like this just because um inspiration now comes from the the social platforms and this is what i was trying to emphasize that don't just think of seo just on the website but you can also be optimizing the various different social platforms as well yeah so what what is it what is it that you mean what is it you mean by that like what influence can we as seos have on on wider channels so for example um what people might do say for example if they are launching let's say a new product so they could be doing a really big 
social campaign. Yeah. And let's say that they're using Instagram. So we can now, Instagram now gives like um, people options to essentially just to optimize their pictures. So you can add on things like alt text and things like that so that it can be searchable. And then if you're doing paid social, for example, you're obviously going to have to have like some sort of a landing page that people go yeah. to, to to buy. And then you might want decide that you want to do a bit of PPC. So you still need to optimize those pages from an SEO perspective to also um, help maximize your PPC efforts as well when it comes to things like quality scores. And then you might have a YouTube video that explains how to use a new product or where you're using influencers. So yeah. I don't know if that makes sense in terms of kind of linking it all together. It does. And, and I guess it means that you've got to be, you can't just sit in your SEO silo, right? You've got to look at yeah. what the whole brand present is, brand presence is, what other teams might be doing and, and actually talk to them and work with them. Yeah, exactly. Because what you'll find is that they might do a campaign and think, okay, we're going to do a bit of, let's, it can even be something like we can do um, some TV and we'll do some social, but then they won't think about, okay, so when people have seen the TV ad, where do they go when they go to research it online? Yeah. yeah. So it's about thinking a bit more further than the, the the basic channels that you would go down, but where else would people go to research you or try and find your brand? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's brilliant. And I think a really important encouragement. I, I think what's something that goes beyond the fashion and beauty industry as well, right? This is yeah. this is something we should be looking at and, and that user journey is, is probably going to look quite different as well, but that's why we need to do our research. Yeah. Um, so just I guess the final question I wanted to ask you just on this um, before we go into the end of the show was um, it, it, with a complex user journey like this, mm -hmm. how do we decide where it's worth focusing our time and attention in our strategies? Kind of like how do we know which which point of the consumer journey to spend that time on? So I think this actually will start from the genesis of everything, which would be audience um, insights mm. to making sure that you understand your target audience and your current audience and the audience that you want to move into. So what their needs are, what they like, um, what role can your product play in their lives? Um, because obviously we know that now things have become way more important to people than just the product. Yeah. And then also what channels are they most likely to engage and discover your brand on? So, like I said, if someone's interested in um, beauty, for example, they might live on um, YouTube or they might read Cosmopolitan or other like online magazines yeah. because they will. So, for example, I use myself as an example. I want to buy a new eye serum. So I'm literally in Google saying typing <laughs> best eye serum <laughs> yeah. 2021. <laughs> And um, you'll find that either Elle magazine or Cosmo, one of these magazines will pop up where they've got a short list mm. of the best eye serums that you can buy. And then what I might do then after that is then go onto YouTube to then see who's talking about it and if you yeah. like it. So it all starts from understanding your user and what platforms they're most likely to engage in and where they spend most of their time. And, in, and then understanding how then do they navigate to the website like I said, not um, like searching in Google might not always be um, someone's first port of call, especially when it comes to this niche. Yeah. And is there a way to, um, I, I guess, an easy way to get that data? Do you have to rely on the client knowing that already? Is there a way that you can kind of work out where the audience might be? 
Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. So you can we can rely on the client to give you th this kind of information, but what you'll find is is that um, for different, various different niches and different brands, their digital audience might look very different to yeah. the audience in store, for example. Sure. So and then they might have a very broad like thinking of what their audience will be. So I remember um, some time back, I used to work with another fashion brand. And they are known for their men's jackets, quilted jackets. Yeah. If um, you can guess which one it is. Yeah. And um, <laughs> online, actually, what we found was is that actually online, women were the ones that bought the most. And it was because they and they were buying the men's jackets. Right. And they were buying the men's jackets as gifts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they might not necessarily. So even though they, they think their audience is a male um, who fits a certain age range in actual fact the people who are actually buying from them are this so which means that either they grow that audience or think about how can they better target the people who they think they want to, to target yeah and that's a great example of how you you can't just make the assumption because I think the easy assumption would be that the people wearing the jacket is the target audience but yeah actually that that wouldn't have helped you if that was the assumption you made yeah yeah exactly and it also highlights that it's good to collaborate with if you have like an, a team that specializes in looking at insights especially digital insights so they're looking at things like brand sentiment where mm. people um, are likely to look at things um how people are searching how do people discover new brands what is it that they're interested in what matters to them and and so on and so forth yeah well, that that's brilliant, and there's there's so much stuff in there that I'm I'm really hoping our audience will be able to take away. But um, we are we are coming to time, and I don't want to keep you too long. Um, so we'll have to end the main interview there, and just ask you one question: if if people want more of this content, want to see more of what you might be doing, um, what's the best way for people to find you and keep up with with what's going on? Um, so on Twitter and Instagram, I am Tasha and Teresa Tasha underscore Antwi on Twitter and on Instagram is Tasha.Antwi. So um, awesome. pretty easy to find. Yeah. And um, I guess on my Instagram, I'm probably featuring a bit more fashion and beauty on there. Sure. Um, on Twitter, I talk about a range of things, including SEO. And um, a lot of people do reach out to me with questions. So I do answer questions on there as well. And any events that I might be talking at or doing anything with, I would also be promoting it on Twitter and on my Instagram. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and I'll also say as well, if anyone had tickets to um, the Spring Brighton SEO 2021 and you haven't heard Tasha's talk, then you should be able to go back in and watch that. So uh, I would highly recommend seeking it out because um, we only we only really touched in depth on a couple of points. And there were there were several other things mentioned in the talk itself. So well worth watching that for the full picture. Um, but otherwise, that's everything for this week's uh, Rank Up podcast episode. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with more on-page SEO content for you. We're excited to continue to bring you different people from the SEO industry in 2021. Um, but as always, we would massively appreciate it if you've enjoyed listening. Uh, if you could leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. Um, any reviews uh, really help other people to find us, so we always massively appreciate that. Um, and if you want to send in any questions for our future guests or just to chat to us about SEO, then you can find me on Twitter at Ben J. Gary with two R's and live at SEO Olivia May 
and that's uh, M-A-E for May. So we're all there. Uh, come and find us, talk to us. Um, we're more than happy to chat about SEO. Um, but if you can't wait for the podcast, then you can find more that Impression is doing over at impression.co.uk slash blog. Um, so this is a podcast as part of uh, Impression Digital Marketing Agency, and there's plenty more stuff going on there, not just in SEO, um, but in all sorts of different topics. Um, and as always, we also highly recommend checking out womenintechseo.com slash speakers, where if you're looking for other people talking about these kinds of topics um, or other sorts of events to watch or finding speakers for your own events, uh, then we highly recommend you check out that website. And that is everything. Liv and Tasha, thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for coming on board today, Tasha. It was really nice to be able to speak to you about this topic today. Oh, no, thank you. It's, it's one of my favourite topics. I'm always <laughs> up for talking about this. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad we could give you the opportunity and, and yeah, Echo Live there. Thank you so much for coming on um, to talk Thanks, about guys. it. And that's it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for your next instalment of On Page Conversation. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.